Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. Just a second. You know, let's continue the thoughts about March Madness. That's kind of a big deal in our culture these days. I have a proposal I want to make. Okay? I got a proposal I want to make. That if nobody has ever heard of you or knows where you're from, you can't be in the tournament. I mean, Michigan State, okay, Michigan, okay, we get it. Louisiana State, okay, we get it. Belmont? <laughs> Belmont. I mean, who, who, who are they? Where are they? The, the, and I'm going to give you the names, the actual names of teams that are actually in the tournament this year. Belmont. Anybody got any idea where they are? Maybe some? <laughs> Belmont. I mean, it's, they should not be in the tournament. If, if nobody knows where you're from, never. Bradley? Where's Bradley? Anybody know where Bradley? Where's Bradley? Peoria, as in Illinois. Bradley University. Are there any buildings there named after you or in your honor? Oh, okay. Thank you. Farley Dickinson. They should not be. Seton Hall? Where's that? I've heard of them. Where is it? I don't know. Gardner-Webb University? It really is. You start thinking, you have no idea where they're from. Old Dominion? I mean, that that sounds like a flower that you buy at the store or something. (laughs) Colgate? What does that sound like? That's a college in the tournament. Iona College? Do there's a, there's a story of a coach. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Don't get ahead of me. There was this coach, and he coached at Iona College, and he went to this house to meet this recruit that he was recruiting, and he goes in, he introduces himself, he says, hello, he says, I'm Coach Johnson, Iona College. And the kid said, which one? I own a con- and now this one I had to look up yesterday because they were they were giving Kentucky okay state we know where that is but I never even heard of this school Wolford well you looked it up also and then I called my daughter in South Carolina and I said Aaron have you ever heard of Wolford College she said yeah and kind of hesitantly. She said, it's around here somewhere, and it's in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Wolford College, you know. They shouldn't be in the tournament, you know. You ought to have states in the tournament. And then one other little, it's got to be some little dinky school somewhere. It's in the tournament. Ohio State. (laughs) Whoever heard. Did I score some points there? (laughs) Ohio State, where are they from? Never heard of them. All right, but th- those seriously are all legitimate colleges in, uh, in the tournament this year. Sowing and reaping, it's an important principle. Let's look at it. 
because I hope you understand it. I hope you're living it. It's to your advantage to do so. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. Paul says to the Galatians, he tells them, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then he explains it a little further. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. You don't want to reap corruption in your life. You don't want your kids reaping corruption. You don't want your spouse reaping corruption. If you sow to the flesh, that's what you're going to get. Period. You're gonna, it's not like, well, I'll be an exception. No, if the Bible sets down a firm principle like this, this is the way it's going to be. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But on the flip side of that, but he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap something entirely different, life everlasting. Talking about reaping what you sow. Another way of putting it, Robert Louis Stevenson said it this way, sooner or later in life, we will all sit down to a banquet of consequences. Sooner or later in life, we will all sit down to a banquet of consequences. It is very sad when somebody comes to my office, let's say somebody off the street or comes to Brother Jamie's office off the street, and their life is such a mess. There's so much drama. There's so much sadness. There's so much disappointment. These are oftentimes, most often, people that are sowing what they have reaped. Now, I want you to understand the context. Paul says that to the Galatians. It's a church at Galatia. And he tells those people at that church, be careful, you're going to reap what you sow. Well, what's the context? I mean, these are just two verses in a big letter. What's the whole letter about? Well, understand, Paul is writing this letter out of concern for this church. Sometimes churches can go in the wrong direction. The Galatian church was going in the wrong direction. In Galatians 1, verse number 6, look at what Paul says. I marvel, I'm amazed that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ Unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Paul knows this church. He knows the people in this church. And he said, I marvel, I am amazed that you have drifted from the truth. And we need to remember, in this day and age, there are churches today that are drifting from the truth. That's always been a temptation. It is today. It was then. And he says, I marvel at that. And he didn't say it was okay. We need to be open-minded. We need to just be loving. We just need to show one another mercy. He said, I am amazed at the fact that you've drifted from the truth. And, And there are those that would pervert the gospel of Christ. What he's talking about there is Judaizers. You know, for centuries, the, the, the children of Israel had lived under the law. But grace comes, Christ comes, the law is fulfilled, they don't have to live under the law. But some of the Jews, when Jews and Gentiles both got saved, some of the Jews, and to a degree I understand this, this has been a part of their culture for centuries, for thousands of years. They were having a hard time letting go. And they were having such a hard time letting go that when Gentiles would come and join them in their church, they could come to Christ, but they wanted to mix the law back in with that. 
And that's what Paul is concerned about here. No, you're not living under the law anymore. You're living under grace. And he says, I'm surprised you've moved away from this. Now, as we saw last week, we go down to Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11 now. Paul's got to defend his apostleship. You know, critics are always going to question the leader. Whenever a leader leads, people that want things to be different are going to question the leader. And Paul is having to defend his apostleship. As he's making these corrections, he's reminding them who he is. He says, but I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. He said, I didn't come up with this. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is making a correction here. And as usual, some people don't want to be corrected. And so they're criticizing him. And he is telling them, look, Jesus Christ gave me the revelation that I gave to you. And he said, he takes it even further. In the second chapter, verse number 11, when he's defending his, his, or he's telling about his relationship to the other apostles. He said, I'm not just some oddball out in left field. No, I'm not one of the original 12 uh, disciples. He says, but look, God gave me a role to play. But when Peter, I mean, they know who Peter is. I mean, he's one of the pillars of the church. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He said, look, I'm not just some Joe Schmo." He said, the Lord has given me the revelation that I shared with you. The Lord has made me a leader, so much so that when it was necessary for me to correct Peter, I corrected Peter. And then he begins to end what he's talking about here in this book of Galatians. The gospel of justification by faith. Again, the Judaizers were wanting to hold on to the law. They wanted to mix the law with grace. And when new Gentiles joined, they were wanting to make certain uh, aspects of the law applicable to the Gentiles. But he says, again, in chapter 3, down in verse number 11, But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And again, Paul is not saying, here, it's okay, believe what you want, it's not for me to judge you. No, he is God's man, he is God's leader, and even though some people might not like it, and even though some people might criticize him, he has to stand in the pulpit, or write them in this letter, the equivalent of standing in the pulpit, and telling them, no, we're not under the law, the just are going to live by faith now. And then he tells them, in Galatians chapter 5, he reminds them, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In my mind, he's saying, listen, whether you agree with it or not, whether you like it or not, whether you're a big shot or not, it doesn't matter. This is the truth. You are no longer under the law. You are under grace. You're living in liberty. Don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. That's why he wrote this letter. In fact, most of, the, most of Paul's letters are dealing with problems in churches. If you're trying to find a problem-free church, you're, you're not going to find it. But he's addressing the issue. So Paul has been addressing the Judaizers who wanted to mix grace and law. And, and Paul is stressing here that they're no longer under the bondage of the Old Testament law. They are under grace. And again... In, in, in verse number 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage.
And then in chapter 6, he is emphasizing, though, and there's a balance here, that there are still yet responsibilities under grace. Because people, the, the Bible describes people like sheep, and sheep wander. So God has given us his word, and he has given us shepherds to preach the word. And as Paul is saying, you no longer have to live under law, you're under grace. Well, guess what? Somebody's going to take that and run with it to make it mean what it really doesn't mean. And he is going to tell them that grace doesn't mean, okay, now you can live as you please. He says, I'm not saying that. He's had to deal with that with other groups. For example, in Romans chapter 6, verse verse number 15, some of the Romans were thinking the same thing. We're no longer under under the law. We're under grace. Whoop-de-doo. Let's go party. And he says to the Romans, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And his answer is, God forbid. God forbid. It's very important that churches get it right. And it's very important that pastors be in tune with God and God's word and not change God's word and stand for the truth, whether it's in season or out of season, whether it's popular or not. And Paul is trying to lay down an important truth, that you are no longer under the law. You are under grace. You are to live by faith through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean, okay, now you can go out and do anything you want. You know, under the law, it was really particular. You could wear this, you can't wear that. You can eat this, you can't eat that. You know, and there are some folks that were thinking, well, good, we're not under the law anymore. I didn't like it to begin with. Now I can do as I please. That's not what he's talking about. And we have to understand that today there are people that will abuse the idea of grace and think that living under grace, we can go and live as we please because we live under grace. And Paul is teaching something to the contrary. And I guarantee you there are liberal churches, liberal pastors today that are happy to be content with the fact that, yes, we're living under grace, and they won't preach against anything. They won't call anybody on the carpet. They'll, they'll say you can do however you want. They may not say that, but they won't say anything contrary to the way people are living. So in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, he is reminding them of an important principle. And again, you know where we are now, okay? He's writing to these Galatians, this particular church, because they're changing things. Some troublemakers have come in and said, you know, Paul taught that we're under grace, but really, we don't want to forget the law. God gave that to us, and there's this mixture. And then people come along and they start thinking, well, now if we're not under the law, we can live any way we want. So with that in mind, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7, this is where we're introduced to this important principle. He tells them, don't be deceived. Now these people are battling. You know, they're talking about it in coffee shops. Are we supposed to be under the law? Are we supposed to be under grace? How much under the law? How much under grace? So he says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He is teaching them that, yes, you're living under grace, but you still have responsibilities. You you are to have discernment. You need to understand that you're going to reap what you sow. He's telling them, be not deceived. Don't kid yourself. You can't fool God. Your actions, what you sow, will have consequences. He's telling them that because he loves these folks. 
And he uses agriculture to make his point. He says, what you sow or what you plant is what you're going to reap. That's what you're going to harvest. He's telling me, if you, if, you, if you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant wheat, you're going to get a wheat. If you plant squash, you're not going to get tomatoes. And if you plant tomatoes, you're not going to get squash. His point is, if you do bad things, don't expect good results. To get good results... This principle is telling us you have to do good things. We cannot go out into this world this afternoon and this week and live like we please. You're going to reap what you sow. And you need to have the discernment to know that this is good, this is bad. You need to be able to call it like that. This is good, this is bad. You can't let the world intimidate you. I like this quote. Each of us, by our thoughts, attitudes, and actions, is constantly planting for a future reaping. Time may pass before the crop ripens, but the harvest is inevitable. So Paul says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can't go out and do what you just want to do and not worry about what God thinks. God's not going to be mocked. He says, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then he elaborates further in the next verse when he says, and he's explaining it, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. If you or your children or your spouse sows to the flesh, you will reap corruption. Are you able to recognize that, or are you one that just justifies everything you do? Can you objectively label the things in life that are of the flesh and thereby avoid them? Otherwise, if you can't recognize what is flesh, or you don't want to recognize what is flesh, then understand you're going to reap that. It says, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Every thought, word, Deed sows either to the flesh or the spirit. In my marriage coaching, I tell couples, everything you say, think, and do will affect the other. You know, we talk about the, the love bank. And each, the husband and the wife are either making deposits or they're making withdrawals from that love bank. And everything you think, say, and do is either going to put a deposit in the love bank or it's going to make a withdrawal from the love bank. Such is the case with reaping what you sow. Every thought, every word, every deed either puts deposits in or makes withdrawals from in your relationship with the Lord. In verse number 8, he says, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. This afternoon, tomorrow, you and I will be tempted to sow to the flesh. When we say sow here, he means to take in or to embrace, to to plant. When he talks about the flesh here, he's talking about the ugly complex of human sinful desires that includes the ungodly motives, affection, principles, purposes, words, and actions that sin generates through our bodies. So when you take in the flesh, when you appease the flesh, when you take in sin, it's going to have consequences. And, you know, earlier in the same book, in Galatians, he labels what the flesh is. He, he does us a real good favor here, the Apostle Paul does. In verse number 19, he tells us, Now the works of the flesh 
or manifest. Remember, he says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. Well, here's what the flesh is. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. He gives us a bold list here of what the flesh is. He talks about idolatry, witchcraft, variance, emulations. Hey, the guy I told you about that they had at the school here a while back that writes children's horror stories. Were they sowing those children to the flesh? Big time. Big time. That shouldn't make you nervous that I would say that publicly. You, you need to amen the fact that somebody is going to say that all that is necessary for, for evil to prevail is for good men to do nothing. And I take no pleasure in calling them on the carpet, but that was just wrong. That is sowing to the flesh. And we need to do a spiritual inventory ourselves, this preacher included. Are there things that we participate in, things that we enjoy, things that we allow ourselves, where in fact we're really sowing to the flesh? Because it's going to reap. You can't do it without it reaping. And it reaps corruption. It speaks of decay and degeneration, of going from better to worse. Be careful because decay in one's character will inevitably inexorably produce decay in one's life regardless of whether he is regenerate or even unregenerate. And that's the negative. He says if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. So parents, you got to have your senses sharp. It doesn't matter what your neighbors are doing. It doesn't matter what, what the lost people at the school are promoting. You've got to be better than that. You've got to be bigger than that. You can't be pressured. You can't be intimidated. You can't go along with the crowd. If they're sowing to the flesh, they're going to reap corruption. And you don't want to be influenced to do the same thing or have your children influenced to do the same thing. They will reap corruption. We're seeing it all around us. The horrible effect it's having on teenagers today. I hate to even mention it publicly, but I will. I mean, I I was just in my office a while ago, and there was a child there, that school down in Florida where they had that mass shooting, and a a young lady, they think as a result of that, just took her life, a student there uh, at that school down in Florida. And I just read a while ago, another student, like yesterday, did the same thing. Righteousness brings hope. Holiness brings joy. Righteousness brings peace and purpose. Christ gives us meaning to life that keeps us going even through the tough times. If you sow to the flesh, you are going to reap corruption. So men, women, moms, dads, teenagers, you have to be discerning. You have to be able to recognize it. And then you've got to be be bold enough to, to call it what it is and then strong enough to avoid it. So what does that mean? We don't do anything? But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. No, life isn't boring for a Christian. 
or a Christian family, or a Christian young person. A Christian person that understands this principle and sows to the Spirit is going to reap goodness. It says, but he that soweth to the Spirit. In other words, it says, he who follows the leadings and cultivates the affections which the Holy Spirit uh, would produce. That's what we need to engage in. That's what we need to embrace. That's what we need to sow. And again, Paul in Galatians, after he talks about the flesh, he lists the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit isn't any of those other things, adultery and fornication and lasciviousness and all of that. It's a whole different world. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You know, they were concerned about the law and going back. He said, there is no law about that. You, you just do it. That is the fruit of the Spirit. The law doesn't produce that. The fruit of the Spirit produces that. And that's what we should be engaging in. We eliminate all those influences in our life that might feed the flesh. And we enhance in our lives all those things that are going to, to uh, proclaim the fruit of the Spirit that makes a, a greenhouse where the fruit of the Spirit grows in our children. And, and you don't go home to fussing and fighting and yelling and screaming. You go home to laughter and fun and, and enjoying one another and, and just appreciating one another. And he says the fruit of that will be everlasting life. And this writer means more than just eternity. He's talking about it here. He says this expression describes not only a life that endures forever, but he says primarily the highest quality of living that a person can experience. Even here and now is what he's talking about there. And thankfully I see it. I, I, see, I see families, and I particularly appreciate young families who are able to resist all the temptations that are out there and, all, and the selfish tendencies within. And, and they make sure they're in church. They make sure they're having family devotions. And they, they, they work towards humility and love and the fruit of the Spirit. And there's joy and there's laughter and there's appreciation in those homes. I like these quotes. Believers who choose to sow to the flesh. These are believers will reap temporal corruption. In this life, we will pay the price. We believers that live carnally, worldly, we're going to pay for it here. Non-believers, principle applies to them, have no choice but to sow to the flesh and reap eternal corruption, eternal damnation. And they can reap it here in this world as, as well. I would add that to this. I like what the missionary said, Adoniram Judson. He said, a life once spent is irrevocable. It will remain to be contemplated through eternity. The same may be said of each day. This is convicting to me. When it is once passed, it is gone forever. All the marks, talking about how we live a day, all the marks which we put upon it, It will exhibit forever. Each day will not only be a witness of our conduct, but will affect our everlasting eternity. How shall we then wish to see each day marked with usefulness? It is too late to mend the days that are past. The future is in our power. 
Let us then each morning resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish it to wear forever. Let us then each morning resolve to send the day into eternity in such a garb as we shall wish to wear forever. And at night, let us reflect that one more day is irrevocably gone, indelibly marked. We need to, cons- to seriously consider the fact that we reap what we sow. The world will do everything in its power. Your flesh will be tempted and Satan will influence you as best he can for you to just ignore this and feed your flesh. Justify your flesh. But a mature Christian will understand, no, it may be a battle, but I've got to fight it. Why? Because I'm going to reap what I sow. I read this little illustration, and I thought it was interesting, and I think it makes a good point, and we'll close with it. It's entitled, The Pathetic Pelican. Pelicans, with their huge beaks, are strange-looking birds. But I saw one that was especially weird. Its beak was crisscrossed, as if, as if someone had pulled the upper and lower parts in opposite directions. He was a pathetic sight. Remembering that pelicans zoom headfirst from a considerable height into the schools of fish to obtain their meals, I wondered if this particular bird had seen such a tempting catch that he dove into the water that was too shallow for him and hit bottom. He says, I don't know if that is what happened, but it made me think about the consequences and sometimes permanent effects of bad choices. He says, many people today carry with them the scars of sin. Although it is true that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, the physical and emotional problems and pains can still remain. He said, those who live a reckless and unrestrained life, and that's so sad, and that's what so many people are doing these days. That's a good way to describe it, reckless and unrestrained. Those who live a reckless and unrestrained life may bear the marks of their destructive lifestyles to their dying day, even though in latter years they are marvelously saved. So, when you're tempted to sin, Remember the pelican with the mangled beak. God will forgive you when you confess, but the consequences may last a lifetime. And we circle all the way back to where we began, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. This is a principle, folks. Your flesh will fight you on this. The world will try to influence you away from it. The world will make you think, nobody lives that way. Just do whatever you want to do. Let your kids do what they want to do. Do what you want to do. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Paul explains further. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Paul is saying here to these Galatians, he wrote them, he says, I'm just amazed that you're getting off course so fast. 
And he's telling them, do not go back to the law. When Gentiles join you, you don't have to make them uh, promise that they're going to live according to the law. We're living under grace. But no, that doesn't mean you go to the other extreme and now you can do whatever you please. The Lord is teaching them there and reminding them, remember this. Your actions have consequences. You've got to get it right. There are bad things that you can sow or there's good things you can sow. You need to hone your spiritual senses so that you're not naive, you're not stupid, you're not a fool. And you're not afraid of what somebody might say. Just because all the other kids are going to the this or they're going to the that, they may laugh at you, but you're not going to the this or the that. Because why? You're going to reap what you sow. And I want God's best for you. So Paul is telling them, or implying here anyway, that you've got to have discernment. You need to know what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. You, you, you need to know what the flesh is, and you need to know what the fruit of the Spirit is. And do everything in your power to avoid the temptations of the flesh, and do everything in your power to embrace, to embrace the fruit of the Spirit, and that which will promote the fruit of the Spirit. And parents that are bringing their kids to Sunday school are doing that. Parents that are attending church themselves, you're, you're promulgating the fruit of the Spirit. You come back on Wednesday night, you're not feeding the flesh. You're putting the kids back where their spirit is being fed. You come in here, your spirit's going to be fed. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.